there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On the last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Quentin and Roger ditched out on church in the choir, boys. I quickly put my seatbelt on on your couch. I better buckle in for this one. Enacted the most intensive manhunt ever mounted in Hennessy. I'm with him. He wants to bring it all down. And, and he is going to blow up yeah. fucking England, yeah. basically. And took a dive into the world of Amphibian Man. Look, the film is justly a classic. It's a beautiful little fairy tale of a movie. And it's not corny the way they do it. And now, we bring you the after show. Your backstage pass to exclusive content, answers to your burning questions, and even more film discussion. I'm your amphibian lady, Gala Avery. First up, what would an episode be without a discussion on a director? When it came to the choir boys, Quentin and Roger spent a lot of time framing Robert Aldrich's career so that we had a better understanding of the downfall of the choir boys release. Robert Aldrich had an incredibly notable career, spanning from noir to westerns to war to comedies and back again. Listen in as Quentin and Roger give us even more background on Aldrich and discuss the creation of Aldrich Studios. And one of the things that was wild about it is, uh, um, you know, uh, almost it pretty much it has the same effect as um, uh, one from the heart. When you finish the Grissom Gang, it's like filmed entirely on Aldrich Studios. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, at what yeah. point did that, did that oh, happen? That, Which movie was the big one for him? Dirty Dozen. Yeah, of course. It of course. was. It was a hit. It, yeah. it, it was just an uber hit. The movies weren't that big a hit. And then like it played for like two years straight. Then they re-release it two years later and it does almost as good the first time around, the second time around as it did the first time yeah. around. And it can play, as, a, and it can play as, as the lower half of a double feature for the next seven years. Uh, yeah. You know, it's popular. Um, 
So he took that money, bought Aldridge Studios, and then made a deal with uh, uh, ABC uh, ABC Pictures, ABC International Pictures, the same company yeah. uh, from uh, Straw Dogs. Yeah. And so he goes on. So he makes four movies officially for Aldridge Studios. But Robert Aldridge, it's not like, okay— I'm going to make my cheap, dirty dozen knockoff right now. No, he goes the art route. He goes there. His first, I believe it's his first movie, is uh, The Killing of Sister George, which is a really terrific uh, lesbian play, and it's a really terrific lesbian drama movie. I'm a big fan of Killing of Sister George. Then he does a movie that I'm afraid to watch because it just looks terrible, uh, as a making um, like a Hollywood movie, making of movies called The Legend of Lila Claire. Yeah, I haven't seen it. With Kim Novak and uh, Peter Finch. Uh, then he does uh, uh, two movies in that. Oh no, uh, the Grissom Gang. And no, he does uh, uh, Too Late the Hero, which is sort of it's almost an anti Dirty Dozen, but they're trying to make it as much like Dirty Dozen as they can with uh, Cliff Robertson, and um, it's got an interesting script that movie mm-hmm. and Michael Caine. And then there's the Grissom Gang. Mm. And then after that, this you know you know he picks four completely uncommercial movies <laughs> to do like his zoetrope. And by the way, it's like there's really only been, so far as I know of, in the way he did it, there's only three directors who did that. And that is Robert Aldrich with Aldrich Studios, Coppola with Zoetrope, and Robert Rodriguez with Troublemaker, Troublemaker Pictures, where they, it's, about, right. it's about they own a soundstage. Yeah. <laughs> Rex Ingram, yeah. who uh, did Victorine Studios mm-hmm. in, uh, in Nice, yeah, uh-huh. did the same thing. And he built Victorine Studios out there so that- In Greece? Would, in, in Nice. Oh, in Nice. Uh-huh. In Nice in the south of France. So that it would be as far away from Hollywood as possible. Oh, that sounds cool. His films. Um, I've got actually a biography on Rick Ingram, but I've never read it though. It, it's interesting. Interesting, uh, interesting life. The Choir Boys shares a lot of similarities to a movie that we've covered in a previous episode, Busting, which headlined episode 13. Quentin and Roger compare the two films and how they both handled exposing prejudice against the gay community. I was a little <laughs> bummed story-wise that Scusi had kind of, you know, get out of here, you know, stay out of the park. And he's back in the park. Mm-hmm. And so part of me is like, man, you're putting yourself in danger. Kid. Okay, but, but okay, it's interesting though. Okay, because it's like, okay, okay, okay. Well, just to say- That's not his fault. Where the whole but- thing, okay, can fall apart. Exactly. All right. And as we talked about in Busting, they couldn't just arrest somebody for being gay, but as close as they could- do that, they did. And the way they did it is, uh, you know, uh, by if uh, uh, lewdly approaching somebody, lewdly approaching somebody for sex. That's a way that you can kind of bust somebody for being gay. Right. All right. But this, nevertheless, they have to do that. They have to actually do that. And sometimes it's very dubious when they go, oh, yeah, this guy. Because uh, you're busting them for hustling. Yes, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. You're bu- for yeah. prostitution or. or well, no, no, or you're hustling. not. No, no. The, the, it's very rarely is it money exchanged. All right. It's just, you can't just say. Well, a public exposure then, like, you know, the, George Michael. And no, the, that's not the same thing either. Okay. I can't just walk up to a, 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 a guy and a woman in the park and say, hey, you want to fuck? All right. Um, but like, for instance, okay, let's just go back to in time. Okay. So, uh, Burt Young character Dominic Scoos is sitting there in the in the vice squad office, and then the crying kid, Dimitri Logosia, all right, is brought in, and Vic Tabak has him. And Vic, Tabak, hey, this little queer, you know, he uh, uh, positioned me in the he propositioned me in the park. Can you believe it? 
No, I don't believe it. No, I do not believe of all people on planet Earth. <laughs> that that kid. That that kid. <laughs> went after of you. all the people he could have <laughs> propositioned, he propositioned Vic Tabak. <laughs> Okay, yeah, Mel Diner. Yeah, that's a, who looks like a cop. Oh, and guess what? Hey, guess what, kid? I'm a cop. Oh, big fucking surprise. I don't see him propositioning him under any circumstance. Yeah, the guy who does not look like, he doesn't look gay at all. He's and not passing why, as- And that's why the kid is actually, even when he tries to look gay in the movie, he doesn't look gay. All right, uh, and that, there's, there's a scene of that. And that's one of the other scenes that kind of works kind of comedy, when yeah. it's the Vic Tabak, Roscoe Rule scene in the bathroom. But the thing is, about it, though, is uh, I think that's why the kid's crying. Is he actually didn't do anything? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like he—he he literally was just arrested for being gay. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually what makes the scene so touching. And I wish that they had had like carried it a yeah. little bit more because then yeah. it's like when, when he so, comes so, back, so, we're so, reminded so, of him. So when you see him in the park, he's not necessarily hasn't done. He, he, it's not against the law for him to walk in the park. No, he, he could live at the park. Yeah, I mean near the park. Yeah, exactly. It's no secret that. I didn't really like the choir boys. Sometimes movies on the podcast are just a miss for me. However, there were a few moments in the choir boys that, in my opinion, almost worked. Listen in as we discuss one of them. The other like comedy scene that like, almost works for me is that black hooker getting arrested. Yeah, no, 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 that does work. It, that like, does work. But I see her trying so hard, and she is funny. But just the re- tonally, the rest of the scene is like not hitting right, so it doesn't. That was Susan Batson playing yeah. Sabrina. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, uh, um, she's fantastic. It she's, does. She's funny. I think that scene does ultimately work out because you know, you know, he's Bloomgard is supposed to be us because he's kind of new. Yeah. To the whole thing. So we're supposed to be kind of experiencing all, all of this through his eyes to some degree or another, and we would probably be all thumbs in that kind of situation as well. The way the way he is, but that's an ultimately ends up working because the whole thing is is you know is he's got to play a word game, and they make a point. Okay, she's got to say "fuck you, suck you" five bucks. Yeah, she so got like I and she's got to say the act and the price. Yes, exactly. Now they know not to do this, so your job is to get them to do this, and so and 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 they're being great. They're just like not exactly saying the words and he's not, they're going on. It's about 20 minutes and they're still not quite saying it. But actually he proves to be such a doofus that finally she does. And I really like his mind. Sucky fucky five bucks. <laughs> you said it. You're under arrest. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> Sucky fucky five bucks. You said it. <laughs> and I like when she's freaking out in the street. No, it, that was good. It feels like when Roger portrays Gene Wilder in Stir Crazy. Like that's oh, you mean how, when I actually physically when you do, actually Gene, do Wilder. Gene Wilder and yeah. Sir Crazy, which is which like, happens a lot. Yeah, <laughs> she, no, <laughs> no she's funny in it, and uh, <laughs> but also I love the idea that Rainbow Smith, all right, is her partner yes, in it. Yeah. All right, exploitation yeah. space case. Our Rainbow Smith, ra- our, our lovely Rainbow Smith, and she looks great in the character yeah. too. It's great. It, it, it's, it's great that Aldrich is like casting people like Rainbow Smith in his movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Was this movie really supposed to be even longer than this? Quentin and Roger talk about what the movie may have been if it wasn't edited down, along with a review from Kevin Thomas. Some of the one joke scenes in here are so bad and the joke is not funny. And it's an entire scene built to this one joke. And the thing, you know, like, we're, as we're watching it, I go, 
he has four hours <laughs> and 20 minutes worth of footage to choose from, and this scene made the cut? Yeah. And there was quite a bit of that. A lot of that. <laughs> a lot of that. So I don't think if Aldrich given his complete wherewithal to do whatever he wanted, if we did see that two-hour and 25-minute version or that two-hour and a half-hour version, that it wouldn't have been all the footage that is in this with another 25 minutes. I think he would have brought in a lot more of the drama and the grotesquerie involved and, 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 and would have dropped some of the just plain jokes. I agree. And it, but regardless of those clumsy moments, it's worth going through them to get to Robert Weber. <laughs> Like, I mean, because then I understood the movie. It is worth going through it to get to Robert Weber, but I will bring out one other good thing about Robert Aldrich, and it's in uh, Kevin Thomas's review for when the film comes out. So he's tearing down what the movie is. In fact, I'll just say one line early on. The broadest Aldrich film yet, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Encompassing, as it does, everything from the amusingly flamboyant Legend of Lila Claire to the rambunctiously entertaining The Longest Yard, The Choir Boys is a depressingly crude burlesque of cops and their world, which is inhabited solely by one-dimensional, generally gross caricatures. There aren't going to be any police benefit premieres for this picture, especially in Los Angeles. But at the, uh, at the bottom of the review, he does what is so great about Kevin Thomas, even though he's just lambasts the entire movie, he ends it with, the sad irony of the choir boys is that that reveals that Aldrich's reflexes to be just as sharp as ever. Gleamingly photographed by Aldrich regular Joseph Riccoli, the choir boys has plenty of bounce and energy. It's clearly a film made with the ease of a past master at his craft. Mm. Consequently, there's all the more reason to lament that Aldrich didn't try for substance, as he surely is capable of sustaining. But in striving so single-mindedly for humor of the coarsest kind, Aldrich has ended up with a travesty. But even that, he's talking about, you know, the film isn't boring. It's lively as all hell. He casts the film really well. He gets a lot of really good work from the, uh, 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 you know, from the players, and it's corny, but it is rambunctious. Yeah. I think the truth is somewhere in between those two reviews you've read. Yeah. Leaning closer to Kevin Thomas. One of the most important decisions that a video store clerk can make is what section a movie goes in. The guys quiz me all the time to make sure that I'm being trained properly. Listen in as Quentin and Roger discuss where the choir boys would go on the shelf. If it was at archives, it would be... Um, this would have been in comedy. It would have been in comedy. Just, yeah, just like Blue Collar, yeah, this yeah. W- which is also a labor comedy with very serious undertones, this would have found its way Actually, in. Blue Collar was actually in drama. Was it? Yeah, we kept it in drama. We right. kept it in drama. We kept it in drama. Uh, but I, but I feel, I feel like pro- I might have been putting it in the wrong place then. I, well, that, <laughs> that wouldn't be the only movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to correct some wrongs uh, yeah, as I exactly. go through my day. That's all. <laughs> no, but no, in the case of Choir Boys, uh, that might have been a bit of a call, but I'm sure it would be kept in the comedy section if we had had it. Um, it would be under the comedy section, under C. I mean, considering that comedy and tragedy are both, you know, comedy is derived from tragedy. Well, no, it's time, actually, no, but it, it kind of makes sense. Well, that, no, it's it's interesting to contemplate. Uh, I actually noticed when I played the episodes back how, how oftentimes you're saying something and I go, no. And that, <laughs> I'm not saying no to you is my way of interjecting. All yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> if I heard, I'd say it all the time. No. Yeah. And you're, what you're actually saying is K-N-O-W. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> I could just say well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, that's exactly where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. For any self-respecting uh, 
mom and pop video store is those serial comedies. Mm-hmm. You know, those, they could be drama, they could be comedy. Where does the seesaw exactly fall? Is it just a little more aimed towards jokes? Is it a little less aimed towards jokes? That's where, you know, that's where the, you separate the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the pikers from the players, uh, you know, is like picking out, oh, okay, uh, what's a good example of that? Well, how about busting? For example, where does busting go? It's in the drama section. Since we've already talked about that it's one. It's in the drama that's section. That's a drama. That's easy. Well, that's a harder one. I, I mean, <laughs> no, no, let's find a harder one. Yeah. <laughs> <Then>. <laughs> so this is not an action cop film? Well, I okay, thought, yeah. I mean, I okay, th- the action cop film section. <laughs> to, be on, to, be honest, I, I, to be honest, I thought Blue Collar uh, was somewhat ambiguous of a choice. Because, I don't think so. I, like, I mean, uh, because to uh, me, only Paul, only Richard Pryor's presence. Right. No, they tried to sell it that way. That's why the cover looks like it's uh, Which Way Is Up Part 2. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but that's not the movie. Right. And Which Way Is Up is clearly a comedy, that's, so you wouldn't yeah. put that in the drama. Yeah. Um, you're coming up with terrible examples. Well, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, you're asking me for examples on... Well, what about M.A.S.H.? Well, oh, well, it's a comedy. It's a comedy, but it's very serious comedy. It's a comedy. Yeah, but it's still a comedy. It's a comedy about no, suicide. But no, no, but that is... But no, but that's... And war. That's interesting because actually it's not a serious comedy, but the trappings of it are, are serious. Where in, in, you know, where in a, a movie about medical doctors in World War II, if it was Bob Hope in 1949, it would be sappy, it would be this, but you're not going to see the blood, you're not going to see all, but, but he puts it in there. But it's still about the jokes. It's always about the jokes. It's actually, I mean, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because, um, any cry for the futility of war is just in the blood on screen. It's not in anybody's voice. Trapper John and, and uh, Hawkeye are, are doing the good fight. You're on their side for what they're doing. It's still obviously a comedy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with Elliot Gould running around, of course it is. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, uh, hey, hold on a sec, because he's in busting also. <laughs> So. That's a more angsty <laughs> cool than the stoned uh, olive guy who carries around olives with him everywhere. Definitely more angsty. <laughs> this is a little more angsty. <laughs> Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. So The Choir Boys goes in comedy not drama. When it comes to Hennessy, Quentin has a unique genre that he would apply to it. Um, Quentin, you had a term for this movie. I can't remember what it was when we were watching and you were like, oh my God, this is... Oh, uh, I called it a corker. A corker. And you had never I was heard... Like, what? I'd never heard of that. You never heard that expression before. That's when, uh, uh, like a like, a, I, I think the origin of it is like a combustible kind of uh, liquid and you just shove a cork on it. All right. <laughs> so, so, you're, so it's all imploded inside of a bottle, but boom, you take the cork out. Psh, like champagne. It explodes. All right. So it's like, a, a, yeah, Hennessy was a corker. Yeah. Or just a bottle that you uncork. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's worth uncorking. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyone who knows me knows that I am obsessed with etymology. One of my favorite resources is Etym Online, the online etymology dictionary. Corker, noun, an unanswerable factor argument, 1837 slang, something that, quote, settles a debate, discussion, or conflict. Hence, quote, something astonishing in the 1880s. Probably an agent noun from cork, verb, on the notion is of putting a cork in a bottle as an act of finality. And that's exactly what we thought Hennessy was. Besides corker, Roger exposes the other subgenre that Hennessy fits into. That conflict <laughs> where his daughter is killed, they basically show that it's kids. I don't think there's a single kid o- older than 12 there standing at the front. Or, no, there's teenagers. Or a few teenagers throwing rocks at the cops. And then they make sure to show all the, the cops, all the English cops. Yeah. They're like British soldiers and they're multicultural, they're mm-hmm. multi-ethnic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a mix among them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just, you know, Brits. I mean, they're all British, but they're, you know, there's like a black dude. There's like, it's a, mm-hmm. what they're doing is like a, a, a tiny conflict. Kids throw rocks and we stand there with the shields. Mm-hmm. And that's the extent that the business of the IRA seems to want to allow to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's this, and it's this event that kills his family. And I just love the fact that this is another man uh, destroyed. Mm-hmm, yeah. Raging against the world. And the only way you can rage against the world is to destroy, is to bring it all down. We in the West may not have heard about Amphibian Man, but Shalevik Amphibia is akin to the Wizard of Oz in the former Soviet Union. Quentin shares stories about the reactions from director Timur Bekmambetov and the members of Pussy Riot in regards to the film. And um, and you're talking to, to the that director Timor. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever his last name. Uh, is. However you say his last <laughs> yeah. name. Uh, I was just having lunch with him uh, a week ago, and I brought up Amphibian Man, and uh, it was having lunch with him and his wife, and I go, well, I heard that everybody in Russia knows Amphibian. Well, maybe not so much now. I go, what, I was told wrong? Everybody does it? Well, a lot of people know it, but I don't know, in the last generation, I don't know. And then his wife goes, what are you talking about? Everybody in Russia knows Amphibian Man. <laughs> they know Amphibian Man, they know the song, they know everything about it. <laughs> go, okay, yeah, maybe, 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 maybe. Yeah, maybe she, yeah, she's right, she's right. <laughs> um, and I even brought it up to uh, the members of that group, Pussy Riot. I was hanging out with them once, and then I brought it up to them to go, Oh, Quentin, I'm, no, of course, we all know Amphibian Man. There's no Russian that doesn't know Amphibian Man. And if, you know, if, if you know, and for you to sit there and talk about Amphibian Man, that would blow the Russian's mind. All right. That, 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 they would think you are already cooler than they already think you are. All right. For the fact that you like Amphibian Man. So anyway. There's a lot uh, to love about Amphibian there, Man. There's a lot to love about Amphibian Man. Amphibian Man feels expensive. Quentin and Roger shed some insight on how this is possible, along with a brief discussion on other Soviet-era films. They're not making... They have the support of uh, the, uh, entire the, government, the entire government, the entire film industry, them. the entire film industry. Yeah, and as long them. as you're on point with message, you can do what yeah. you want. <laughs> and so, you know, and so Amphibian Man isn't like any version of it we would have saw on television or that they would have made cheaply back then, you know, um... Yeah, it's just it's not like anything like that unless Disney at its highest decided to do it. And that would have been cheap by comparison to what Amphibian Man is. But it's the same thing why they're all their um uh their big space epics, all done around yeah. 
the same time. One of the reasons that Roger Corman went and, and got them is because he'd heard that Moss Film had spent more money for the special uh, for the uh, space special effects for their sci-fi films that like the, like there's no American studio that could ever compete. And even back then, they seemed cheesy. So then he goes and finds a Russian theater playing one of the space epics and he goes, oh my God, this is just so, this is so vast. The special effects are so vastly superior to anything being done in America that it's not even in the, it's not even in the same category. Mm -hmm. And so he tries to go and uh, buy one of them for, uh, 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 he buys one and that's what became a Battle Beyond the Sun. Oh, right. Of course. That Francis Ford, which I want to do on the show. All right. I would love to. Uh, to. And I have both versions of that one. So we watched the Francis Coppola one first. And then we watch what he had to work with. Well, technically, one can learn as much uh, about cinema from watching this movie as Soy Cuba. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Soy Cuba gets a lot of cred for being uh, mm-hmm. this um, amazing visual movie. And this film has the same kind of strength in, in its uh, visual presentation. And then, but, but then backed by a classic a much more fa- classic, straightforward a classic fa- story. A fairy tale yeah. story yeah. That, that, that holds it all that holds it all together. Yeah. Before I close up shop for today, I have one more treat in store for you all. You've heard us chit-chat a few times about the Cameo Theater in downtown Los Angeles. Up next, Quentin discusses his experiences at the Cameo and the memories that stuck with him about it. Did you guys ever used to go to the Cameo Theater for like those four movies? And like- That was like, I, 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 I was too afraid to, like, I think- I maybe went once to- Not to the Cameo. You went to the State. Yeah, I went to the State Theater. The State or the Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Theater, for sure. I would go to. But like the Cameo was like a very special place. Yeah, yeah. No, it was like, uh, uh, I went, uh, I went, there was, there was two theaters right next to each other. There was the Cameo and right next to it was the Arcade. And they both had Mm -hmm. the same times. It was like, it was like all night to about, Five or six, and then they closed for an hour and a half, and they cleaned up the th- chased everybody out, cleaned up the theater, and then opened up again for a new new day. And they changed every three days. They oh. changed their movies every three days. They only had three day engagements, and they showed four movies. And the the arcade was the slightly upscale version of the operation um, because um, they were both pretty much the same size. They were right, literally smack dab next to each other. But the cameo was 99 cents. Oh. For the all night ticket. The arcade was a dollar 25. <laughs> so, if for you, that extra 25 cents, yeah, you So if you need don't a, have to contend with rats. And, if you need well, <laughs> yeah. no, they never promised you wouldn't have to contend with rats. You just have a roof over your head. Yeah. <laughs> That's all they're promising. <laughs> I went to the Cameo twice, and I went to the Arcade once. Twice, the one time at the Arcade, one time at the Cameo, uh, were totally acceptable ways for me to do it because I did it in the morning. I I showed up literally at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning when, when they opened up, and I just, in both cases, I happened to want to see the movie that was the first First, first on the bill. The place was as clean as it's ever going to be because they had just cleaned it. Yeah, they just uh, sprayed it down. Yeah, it was as clean as it was ever going to be, and they just chased everybody away. And you know, and so everyone had their life to live. So, uh, so it wasn't like filled with bums. It was like you know, three or four other people there, uh, maybe. 
that much, and they didn't really look like bums, you know, per se, you know, uh, um, you know. But and we were all kind of staying far away from each other, and it was just, you know, what was what it was. And then after that movie was over, yeah, I got uh, I got out. But one night, and I took a friend of friend with me, a guy named Kevin Minky, all right, uh, I'd known for a long time in my old neighborhood when I was a kid. I went to the cameo at like. 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. Oh, <laughs> ill-advised? Well, it, it well, nothing, uh, nothing happened to me, but um, it was foolhardy. <laughs> me going into a dangerous bar would make more sense. <laughs> wow. Than going- And maybe be safer. And be safer. Or, well, I'm, you know- Actually, it, it, it wasn't that it wasn't safe. Here's the thing about it. Hey, I'll tell you exactly what it was about it. It, it. When I think back on it, I get scared for myself that I did it because I'm like, I'm like 22 or something. And so it was my buddy. But not because, oh man, all these things could have happened to you. Well, no, there's a security guard there and they want to hang out for the night. They don't want to get kicked out and thrown out in the street and everything. Nevertheless... I've been to county jail and it never seemed like I was in a room with more desperate human beings. Wow. At the at the fucking well, bottom of the room. I mean, county this, jail, this you've is, got a guy in the panopticon watching you. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have that at the cameo. I put myself for the length of a fucking movie, 90 minutes. I put myself into the square root heart of Skid Row. And I had no business being there. Yeah. Do you remember what those, what that triple feature, that quadruple feature was? Well, I, I remember what, I remember what, well, we didn't stay for all the movies <laughs> that, just, just, that Saturday. Yeah. All right. We went, but just, we waited for like key prime time. We waited for absolute key prime time to show up though. Uh, yeah. And I remember I saw, uh, it was uh, Lee Frost's, it's a really good movie too. It's a really good exploitation movie. Lee Frost's uh, Police Woman. Okay, yeah. Not police woman with Angie Dickinson, okay, but with Sandra Curry, police uh, uh, women. It was <laughs> police women, police women, like multiple women. Yeah, and and actually, it had a couple of big moments where the audience really responded in a in a real big way. Look, I know what it was like. I, I, you know, even at a peak time, I, you know, I now have the the knowledge of what was going on inside those doors, and I have that as a for like an anthro, you know, Los Angeles anthropological. Expedition. <laughs> cinema exhibition, anthropological, the history of Los Angeles cinema's anthropological aspect as a theater owner myself, mm -hmm. my whole thing about the exhibition business pertaining to Los Angeles particular. Well, yeah, okay. There's a lot, there, there's a, I'm talking myself into it right this now. This is a component of that exhibition business. This is that, all right. It absolutely is. And it's a rare, almost never talked about. And I kind of, and, and you know, and I, uh, uh, I experienced it. If ever I want to try to dramatize it in some movie or something like that, well, God, I was there. I can actually stage it. And I've never seen it done before in the right way. I mean, the most fraudulent aspect of the whole fucking movie was Mikey and Nikki when then they went to the all-night movie theater. Yeah. They wouldn't have that big of a theater be an all-night movie theater. And I didn't really buy that as like an all-night. No, they rented out a cool old theater and said it was an all-night movie theater. But there was nobody desperate there. How did you feel about in True Romance, Tony picking the Vista? To play the all-night movie theater. Well, okay. I mean, even though it's not meant to be the Vista. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, well, a, fa it's a fantasy. That's but not a bum theater. 
that's not a that's not a bum. Well, definitely theater. not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. No, that's not a. But that's yeah, that's not a cameo kind of situation. That was you know because. But um, it, but within the reality of true romance, it's meant to be kind of an all night theater. No. No, not an all night theater. Not like the cameo. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Not not a place for the bums. All right. You know, a grind house. It's a grind house. Yeah. It's a grind house, and you know, and and a lot of grind houses had triple features. You know, but but it's that other it's that four it's that. It's that quadruple feature that turns yeah. you into an all night situation, yeah, you know, sure. unless you're having an ape marathon all fucking night. Mm-hmm. And well, even that's an all night situation, yeah. you know, but triple features are kind of, were kind of standard, especially for, you know, those, you know, the dollar fifty theaters, mm-hmm. the dollar fifty theaters that showed the, you know, the uh, showed this up. But also just remember though, just this could have been, that theater could have been even a, a, a step above that. Yeah, the, the marina But let me know no, for a particular reason. Mm-hmm. That theater could be a step above that for the simple fact that New Line Cinema had a package of the three Street Fighter movies uh. that they offered a lot. So a normal theater could just book the Street Fighter triple feature because that was just a whole package that New Line had. See, again, so, exhibition business. Yeah. yeah. There's more to that story than you thought, all yeah. right? There you know, is. It could have just been a regular mom and pop. <laughs> but it wasn't. <laughs> it's, somewhere, it's somewhere in the middle. Well, you know, most grindhouses were mom and pop. Yeah, situation. like local, yeah. yeah. Most drive-ins were privately owned also. Yeah. They? Oh, like, oh, the Van, yeah. like the Van Dyke is, mm-hmm. uh, that's a family-owned drive-in. Yeah, um, uh, uh, well, I don't know about most because I mean, especially in the seventies, Pacific really had did Pacific the, have a lot. Yeah, yeah, they had a lot. They they had mostly drive-ins, right. frankly, for a while. They had they mo- that was their empire were, for a while was was drive-ins. Yeah, I miss the drive-in theater. Well, they're coming back. Yeah. Not only are they coming back, did you hear the the Rhodium drive-in is showing movies again? Are they really? Yeah, they've got. Uh, well, uh, I guess with the whole. State of the world. No. I know, but I mean, but I've been waiting for them to open up the Rhodium again. Uh, I'm not that it was just magnificent experience, but I, I, I've been waiting for them to open up the Rhodium drive-in again for, God, like almost 40 years now. And they did it. They're doing it now. Uh, they're showing American Graffiti and then later, and they're even That's showing- That's a great uh, movie to see in a drive-in. Not only that, like a couple weeks later, the next week, they're showing a South Bay Classic. They're showing Gone in sixty seconds. Oh my god! At the the, Hale- Rodeo- the Halecki movie. Yeah, exactly. At the Rhodium Drive-in. The the, yeah. the, the, the fat. You know, made by a real like that is if there is a South Bay movie. Yeah, yeah. That's a South Bay movie. Uh, a tour of the South Bay at ninety miles an hour. Yeah, by <laughs> by a guy who made his business hacking cars in the South Bay. Yeah, exactly. And that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Video Archives After Show. Next week. Join Quentin and Roger as they discuss three new VHS titles. Want to know ahead of time what we'll be watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. The first film features a returning video archives powerhouse. This time, he's following in the tradition of Hemingway and Bogart. The second is a VHS and cable mainstay, which is a self-aware ode to the kitty cowboy matinee. And the last is as if the Jack Benny show had a sci-fi crossover episode. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have um, things to do, places to be. I'm Gala Avery. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact the issue is very near and dear to my heart. 
Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 